Hello and welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, and that's comic books, everybody. Uh, this is the only podcast in the history of human being communication where two brothers talk about comic books, and I am one of those two brothers, Will Hines. I'm the other one of those brothers. My name is Kevin, and because I'm a brother, my last name is also Hines. Yeah, you see how that goes. Um, we are big fans of comics. We're also hilarious comedians, uh, kind of just medium energy uh, competent people, and uh, we like talking about comics, and um, we're ready to talk about it to you. Yeah, we screw up a normal amount of times and succeed an equally normal amount of times. You give us a regular job to do, and once we're done, you'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Uh, and we are in the midst of our Sandman season, right, Will? That's right. We're talking about Sandman, the horror-slash-fantasy comic by Neil Gaiman, or masterminded by Neil Gaiman, done by uh, DC Vertigo Comics in the early 90s. Yeah. Uh, it started in the uh, late 80s, 88, 89, and continued into the 90s. It ran about 75 issues. And we're covering exactly uh, basically what I'm calling a smattering of Sandman. Um, it's um it's accurate to say that and uh, I'm a Kevin and I are both fans. I'm in I'm a huge fan. I just say that to thank Kevin for letting us talk about it. And uh, it's one of those things where I'm such a fan I'd be happy talking about every single issue. But rather than spend 75 weeks um uh, we're kind of just picking issues here or there to sort of like cover different types of stories that happen in in the Sandman run. Uh, I'll have my revenge when I make you do the 100-episode season about Gru covering the first 100 <laughs> issues of the Marvel Epic series. I mean, that is really unnecessary. Like, I, mean, <laughs> that, that, I think there's a lot issue, of redundancy in Gru, I think. I think, I mean, it's important to go through each issue and talk about each time they make a joke about making the same joke. The, what's it called? Is it Gru? It's not Gru the Barbarian, right? Gru the Wanderer. Gru the Wanderer, yeah, but it is obviously like a parody of Conan the Barbarian. That's right. Drawn by the Mad Magazine artist Sergio Aragones, who's famous yeah. for doing the little cartoons in the margins of the old Mad Magazine. Yeah, it's scripted, uh, co-plotted by Mark uh, Evener. Evener? Evener. I don't know. I, think. I, don't I know. think it's Evener. And he's like a longtime comics guy. Assistant um, to Jack Kirby, did all kinds of cool stuff. Lettering by Stan Sakai, who does Yusai Yojimbo. He did the lettering? Yeah, he's the letterer for the comic. That's, weird. Uh, That's like having Stanley Kubrick be your, like first AD or something like Apparently, that. Apparently, uh, they met Stan and Sergio, and uh, Stan was talking about how he does calligraphy. And Stan's like, oh, have you ever lettered comics? You should letter my comic. And Stan was like, okay. And then he had to like <laughs> learn how to letter comics. Because <laughs> Sergio took that as like, all right, you're in. And he's lettered, <laughs> I think, almost or if not every issue since, which is... Hilarious. Didn't think we were going to talk about Gru this much, but uh, let's get back to us. Uh, <laughs> let's get back to Sandman. <laughs> uh, all right. So Sandman, uh, the Wanderer, as he's known. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, uh, we last episode we covered an issue from Seasons of Mists, mm -hmm. and so now what are we covering this episode? We're doing an issue from the arc called A Game of You. Uh, the particular issue we're doing is called Bad Moon Rising. I forget what number it is, but it's, it's chapter 32. three. Okay, it's chapter three of this arc. And uh, Game of You is my single favorite 34. Sandman. Issue okay. 34. Issue 34. And uh, Game of You is my favorite Sandman arc, so I'm really excited to talk about it. Although, I do love all of them. So, mm -hmm. But if I had to, I had to pick one, uh, this would be the, you know... If, this would be the one if I was in like the world's worst saw movie where like you had to pick one Sandman series to read or cut your leg off. This would be the one I'd pick. 
So we are, how about the opposite? What's the one issue? We're going to do a 74 episode covering of the main series of Sandman. We got to skip one. We can't cover two in an episode. Which uh, one do we skip? I, I'd skip the one where the grandfather reveals that he was a werewolf as a child. Was that a real one? Yeah. All right. I think it's like, okay. I'm just impressed that you had an answer to that quickly for a Me stupid too. question. Me too. I should have made a joke, but instead I had to be honest. That's yeah. why I am as successful as I am. Medium. So, uh, uh, Game of You, this issue is drawn by uh, Colleen uh, Doran. Yeah. Uh, she is not drawing most of this arc. She drew this issue. You keep picking, like, sort of <laughs> the, the random issues one-offs. with, like, guest artists or something. Maybe that's why they stand out to me, because, like, in reading it, it's sort of, it's like a little bit of a change of pace. Yeah. I love the art in this issue, and I love the art in every issue. I think Sean McManus is doing the rest of the run, or at least uh, uh, some of it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but yeah. this issue is Colleen, Colleen, Colleen Doran. Yeah. Who's um, great. Uh, who's done a lot of comics on her own and uh, a lot of beautiful, beautiful art. Um, this is my favorite one. This is the one where back when the issues were first coming out, you gave up on reading Sandman. Somewhere here. in here. I think I made it through this issue. Um, uh, I, I just reread the this issue and the two preceding it. Um, and I remember basically them like... Uh, 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 to get ahead of ourselves in the fantasy world, I'm like walking down like a winter mountain trail. Mm-hmm. And I was just sort of like, I think I'm, I think I'm done. <laughs> uh, I mean, um, I was also think 12 or 11 or 10. Yeah, Just maybe a little too stupid for this series. Yeah. I just was like, uh, let me read the Hulk. I think he's punching absorbing man this month. That <laughs> seems more my speed. And you know what? He probably was. <laughs> Do well. What did you think of reading the three issues this time? Tell me if you hated it. I want to. Uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's it's. I haven't reread. I've re- I've since gone back and read all of Sandman uh, uh, years back, mm-hmm. but this is the first arc I've only read once because when when I went back and reread it, I started at the beginning. So that stuff I'll read twice, and then somewhere in this arc it becomes I've only read it once. Except I think a few single issues that you forced on me. But yeah, so I think I think like this arc. I, what I remember of it is such small details um, that it was just sort of fun to be like, oh, I that, that name, there's a character named <laughs> Thessaly. When she showed up, I'm like, that's a character. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's not yeah. just any name. And I right. was like, I remember that being a, a something and a deal. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember what her deal was, but I was like, I'm paying attention to this character. I know that's not a throwaway person. Uh, and little things like that sort of like, it's weird. It's like when you watch a movie that you haven't seen in a long time, you might not remember the movie, but everything that happens, you're like, yeah, that's right. You're, yeah. you're, you're not surprised so much as you're like, you're just remembering while you watch yeah. it. It felt like that. It felt like waking up from a dream. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> well, game of you is the story of a character named Barbie who we met earlier in a doll's house. We did not meet her on this podcast because we skipped a doll's house entirely. But if you're reading all of Sandman, you met Barbie and she and this is basically the story of somebody who finds out that their imaginary fantasy world that they had as a little girl is a real alternate dimension and they need her to come save it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I want to talk she dreamed more about up that. With her, yeah. The world she dreamed up with her like stuffed animals is real. And she has to. And it's really fun idea. And there's and that's just the tip of the iceberg that's going on in a game of you. I want to talk a little bit more about that when we finish covering the issue, the idea of uh, having like a dream world. So, Kevin, should we just dive into this or how should we do this? I think we should dive into it. We should talk a little bit about what happened in the previous two issues. Yeah. So, OK, I'll give you the, the overview here. The, the Will's notes. Barbie um, 
who we last saw in a doll's house. She was married to somebody named Ken, and they were one of the couples living around Rose Walker. Rose Walker is the main character of Doll's House, and she's a dream vortex. She disrupts the dreams of everybody around her. And Barbie and Ken were like this smiley, perfect-looking couple, but then we see their dreams, and Ken is like this dreams of power and money, and he's this really like villainous guy, and Barbie dreams of this innocent little fantasy land. And it's just, and they're two of the many characters where we see their dreams are quite different from their exterior right and that's that's we that's all we know of barbie and then when we see her at the beginning of game of you um her life is totally different she's left ken she's living in the east village uh kind of making very little money very like artsy east village lifestyle uh her best friend is a guy is a woman named wanda who's actually a man i don't know but is trans yeah trans uh, and is like and her chosen name is Wanda Mm -hmm. and they're like best friends. And so her life is like completely different than the sort of Florida suburban life. We last saw her. Yeah. And she lives like in an apartment building with a a bunch of other, uh, uh, odd characters. Yeah. But to like artsy East village type, it's very, uh, I mean, I guess it's very early nineties. Like the the way they dress and the makeup and the things like that are, are this is like when the musical rent was being written is like when this comic (laughs) was being written and East village was still, represented sort of poor artists slumming today. It is like super gentrified wealthy people, but like the sort of place bohemian. It's not sort of the place only you and I can afford. Yeah. You got to be like a real D list podcast host to move into the East village these days. Yeah. And, um, Barbie, uh, is, you know, we sort of set up that she's run away from her life, that Ken and her got divorced and she's trying to reclaim her identity that since the Rose Walker incident, she has not had any dreams at all. And she's best friends with Wanda, who is dealing with being trans and whose family has rejected her. This is a less progressive time. So sometimes, even though the East Village, she's accepted back home, she's not. And she talks about that. And we meet some of the other characters in the building. Fox, Glove, and Hazel are a lesbian couple upstairs. We meet this creep named George, who's a complete scumbag. We kind of, they lay out, and we meet Thessaly, who appears to be this milk toast librarian type, but we'll find out soon is a witch. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're kind of, you know, like with any Sandman arc, it's the characters, to me at least, more than the plot. Right. So we kind of get a little tour of all the characters in that first issue. We also get a glimpse of the dream, her dreamland. Yes, we see this fantasy land, which if you had read A Doll's House, you say, hey, this is what Barbie used to be dreaming of, where where all the characters are bemoaning that their land, this kind of Narnia-like fantasy world, is dying. And they need their princess, Barbie, to come back. Um. And it, the first issue is so great. One of the like adorable creatures of this world, whose name is Martin Tenbones, this big like woolly mammoth, okay. enters our world. Almost like a snagglepuss crossed yeah. with the uh, uh, As- Aslan. Yeah, crossed he- crossed with a, what's the thing from uh, Neverending Story? Bastion. No, the the thing they ride. Whatever the whatever the dog thing is that he rides on. I, I can't remember. Maybe it's Bastion. Anyway, it, it feels like a combination of all those things. But yeah, he comes He comes to New York and gets shot. He enters into the East Village and the cops surround him as this big beast and, and he's terrified. It really kind of breaks my heart, actually. But Barbie somehow is happens to be nearby or maybe he is like sensing where she is or something and just sees in the street the creature from her childhood fantasy. 
And as he is dying, he gives to her this jewel called the Porpentine and says, we need you. You have to come back. And that's how the first chapter ends. And I was like, oh, man, what a great beginning of a story. I really loved it. Yeah. Young Kevin was like, well, I'll give it one more issue. (laughs) Uh, And then the next issue, George gets sort of involved. George the creep from the apartment building uh, reveals himself to be some sort of agent of the cuckoos. Cuckoos? Yeah, the bad guys are the cuckoos. They are the creatures that are destroying. Oh, so Fal- Falcor, by the way, is the name of the dog. Okay. Falcor. That's, that makes sense. I'm sure there's people listening that are like, you idiots, it's Falcor. Yeah, George is a servant of the cuckoo, who the fantasy characters are describing as the main bad guy. And he is a servant of the cuckoo, and um, he is spying on Barbie. Uh, and the second issue is where George cuts himself, very gory scene, like slices open the front of his body, peels back his skin to reveal the rib cage, and a bunch of cuckoos fly out. And they, this is at night, and they sit on the shoulders of all the occupants we met, and they each have a horrible nightmare. Yeah. And the second issue is like seeing all of their nightmares. It's very parallel to Doll's House, where we see all these char- we see a bunch of characters' dreams, mm-hmm. and here we see like these gruesome. I mean, they are horrible nightmares, yeah, like, haunting, and also just emotionally hard. Yeah, like Neil Gaiman. One of the lesbians, I forget which one, is pregnant because Hazel. she she cheated on her girlfriend with a guy and got pregnant, and so her nightmares about uh, having an abortion and that baby. Uh, still being in the, her life and it's the really- aborted fetus still being alive and haunting her and hating her. And then, yeah, yeah. Um, it's rough. It's rough, but it, uh, it's rough period. And uh, it's typical of Sandman to kind of just go just to, to walk into difficult areas. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, and it's, it, it made the comics thrilling when I was reading them, you know, especially in the context of what comics I mostly had been reading to see a story where there's like a trans woman and a lesbian couple, and, but there's pregnancy involved mm-hmm. and there's divorce was like kind of rad. It was like, oh, sure. this is cool. I mean, I was reading um, comics with Bi Beast and Sasquatch. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. No, this doesn't get as deep as Alpha Flight would go. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. This doesn't have the emotional depth of of something like Dakota North. When when the cuckoo lands, uh, cuckoo, I say that's so, so weird, uh, cuckoo uh, lands on Thessaly. She just wakes up, grabs the bird, and sets it aflame. Yeah, we find out that Thessaly is a supernatural creature who is ready for the challenge. And that issue ends with her going to see George with a knife behind her back. And uh, that's kind of where the second issue ends. Oh, and Barbie puts the jewel on and falls asleep, and she enters the fantasy world. Mm-hmm. The The jewel that her that the creature gave to her yeah. enables her to visit her land of her childhood fantasy. And that gets us to where we this issue starts. It's so good. Isn't it a good idea? I mean, like the the thing you daydreamed of as a kid was real and it's here and it shows up and wants you to come back. That's like, what a great idea, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Uh, um, if you dream it enough, it, it exists. Yeah. Because that that's the point, right? Like dream makes all these dreams. And if, if you have a dream once, he makes it and it goes away and it fades away. But because this was like a continuing dream she had, it sort of willed itself into existence. Uh, there's a different story behind it. Although okay. that what you're describing does sound like the kind of thing that happens oh, yeah. in Sandman comics. That there's like a, a weirder and frankly much more confusing explanation for why this land is quote unquote real. But, okay. But what you're saying really fits the Sandman universe. So I kind of wish that was true. <laughs> I should have written it. Is what Neil Gaiman often said. 
<laughs> so we're going to get into this issue, which is where all the characters wake up from their nightmares and they find out that there's some magic stuff going on. And it is a, what I love about this issue is it is gruesome. There is just like lots of gory witch stuff going on. Uh, and I kind of think that's one of the main ingredients of Sandman is like just good horror stuff and yeah. kind of radical progressive characters. And I'm really not somebody who like needs checkboxes like, oh, I need to have a certain number of progressive characters that I personally don't care about. But to have sort of just like a variety of different perspectives that I'm that is new to me is exciting. Someone because they're making the Sandman TV show. Uh, a TV show? Yes. Like for HBO or something? I think it's an Audible thing, right? Well, there's also the Audible one, but they're working uh, on a live action one at the same okay, time. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, and somebody was saying like, well, I hope they don't do some uh, uh, casting just to, to diversify the cast to make a political statement. And Neil Gaiman responded, he goes, you mean I shouldn't include? And he like listed a bunch of the characters that were in the original comics. <laughs> Yeah, the original comic, especially relative to comic books of that time, was radically diverse. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I haven't gone through and, like, done numbers or whatever, but just, like, it, it definitely in terms of sexuality and gender, Sandman was, like, way ahead of the curve. It might not have been in terms of ethnicity, but um, I don't know. Maybe even it was. I'm not sure. But um, there's a number of Middle Eastern stories. There's, like, a lot of Islamic characters. Um uh, so in this issue, what we're going to see is the characters wake up from their nightmares and they find out what's going on. And this is basically Thessaly's issue yeah. where Thessaly takes command. Yes. Um, so uh, it opens New York 2 a.m. with uh, Hazel and Foxglove. That's and, right. And their, cuckoo, their cuckoo birds disappear in like to a burst of like sparkly dust. We'll find out why in a second. And they wake up and they're shivering from their nightmare and they hug each other. Um, they're both and I really sobbing. love they're sobbing. I love how much Hazel and Foxglove love each other. They are a really loving couple. Um, and, uh, Hazel, I'm just, I have to talk in old man terms here and I apologize for being out of touch, but Hazel is like a real dykey butch looking woman. And Foxglove is this tall kind of skinny, um, body. And I say that because like comic book bodies, could be so uniform, especially in a superhero context, like all women, the same sort of big voluptuous shape, all men, the same insane Captain Adam pyramid muscular thing, which, you know, in a superhero story, who cares? But I just remember think, seeing like, I mean, they look like distinct individuals, uh, unique bodies and seeing them like comfort each other in the middle of the night. I'm like, oh, they look like a real couple. It's like really sweet and interesting. Um, yeah. So they wake up and comfort each other. They turn the lights on. Uh, you know, as you do to dispel a nightmare and they see nothing. The cuckoos are gone. There's no visions. But we, of course, know that there are sinister things. Yeah. Um, uh, which one's the, the the shorter one? Hazel. She's pregnant. Hazel's first thought was like to leave the room and go to herself. Foxglove's like, don't leave. I need to hold you. Um, yeah. Just based on what they're going through. Yeah. They're sobbing. They're like, everything's all right is what Foxglove says. I love the things they say to each other. Fox, you're shaking. We're both shaking. I'm scared. Isn't that dumb? I don't dare go back to sleep. I'm scared too, Hazel, but it's okay. The bad dreams are all over. Look, I'll turn on the light. And this is another ingredient of Sandman comics that I love, which is there is a lot of like personal affection and sort of compassion. I think this was the catnip for people like me who loved it, which is like it's gruesome, horror, brutal stuff. 
And then there's like lots of human sweetness mixed in too. It's like, it's, I don't know. It's very satisfying. Thess, uh, there's a knock at the door and it's Thessaly. Yes. Uh, she says, I came down to see if you two were okay. They're defensive. Sure. We're fine. We're for sure. We're fine. Why shouldn't we be fine? Uh-huh. Well, thanks for stopping by. They think Thessaly is the square. This like nerd girl. Yeah. And also, they don't suspect someone's going to come down and be like, I heard you had a nightmare. I came to check yes. on you. But then Thessaly says, no bad dreams, which stops them in silence. Um, and they suddenly realize that Thessaly somehow knows what's going on. And then Thessaly goes and checks on Wanda, who also had a terrible dream about being tortured by a bizarro Superman character. Yeah, she answers the door. She's sobbing. The, and so everyone's kind of like, oh, how does Thessaly know what's going on? And Thessaly says, Barbie's the one I'm really worried about, which really worries Wanda because she's best friends with Barbie. They pound on her door, no answer, but but um, Wanda has keys so they can get in. Yeah, she's, uh, if you really, I, I could let us in if you really think there's something wrong. And Thessaly says, there's definitely something wrong. You'd better open the door. And right, she which looks is the last. Serious. She looks so serious. It's the last panel on a page. This is something that I think Alan Moore is really good at, and I think Neil Gaiman is is also very good at, which is like the page-turning panel, mm-hmm. like the big dramatic punctuation mark at the end of the right-hand page to make you turn it. It's like, woo, I got to see what's wrong. Um, um, and we go inside, and Barbie is like in a trance on her back on her bed with the glowing porpentine jewel on her chest. Which at this point, as a reader, and I didn't read it beyond, it doesn't seem like she's actually in trouble. No, she looks peaceful and she looks all right. And I know she's like in this fantasy world helping her friends. So it, see, it seems like where she should supposed to be, where everyone else is having these horrible nightmares. It seems like everyone else had a rougher time. I yeah. know there's more going on, but in this moment. Yeah, it, it looks like things are as you'd want them to be for Barbie, your protagonist. Mm-hmm. And they see the jewel and they're kind of like, should we, um, what is that thing? And Thessaly's like, don't touch it or try to take it from her right now. I'd suspect it's all that's keeping her alive. And Thessaly is immediately, we're going to learn that Thessaly is magic. Yes. And I think we, the readers, know that, but the but the tenants are going to find We it. saw her ignite a bird on fire. <laughs> yeah, and not even blink. Uh, she, she tells everyone that we're going to go up to George's room. The door's open. You can all go straight in. I'll see you up there. There's stuff I need to get from my room first. Right, so she leaves, and it gives them all a chance to talk about Thessaly when she's not there. Um, and they're basically saying, oh, I thought she was like a square, a bimbo with brains instead of looks, like studying architecture or something. Yeah. They're kind of like, should we, tr-? but Thessaly, they kind of say, well, let's listen to Thessaly. She seems to know what's going on. And Thessaly asked Wanda to bring Barbie upstairs. Wanda is biologically a man, which I just bring up because he's like very tall and strong. So he can like easily heft Barbie around. Yeah. Hazel notices uh, in on this page that Wanda has a penis still. Yeah. I think it's Hazel did not realize that Wanda was male. Yes. Um, Wanda. Yeah. You've got a thingy. Hazel, didn't anyone ever tell you that it's not polite to draw attention to a lady's shortcomings? I love it. Like, such fun dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a good illustration that Hazel is, like, naive. And and although it's Barbie's story, it's it's almost Wanda's story. Uh, She's definitely the second character. Like, we, her dealing with her identity, or her being allowed to be who she wants to be, is what's referred to in the title, A Game of You. Like, that's every character but especially Barbie and Wanda being able to be the person you want to be. Yeah. Hazel was, uh, she slept with a guy and he told her that if they had sex standing up, she wouldn't get pregnant. Yeah. So she is naive in numerous ways. That's yes. not true. Anyone listening? Um, 
It's not true. And yeah, that was in the second issue where Barb or uh, Hazel confesses to Barbie that she's pregnant. And they kind of have this intense girl talk about this night where a coworker of Hazel slept with her um, kind of against her will. Like he, she sort of passively let it happen because yeah. he just was kind of being pushy or whatever. And that, you know, again, in comics to see two people sort of talking about a sexual encounter you maybe didn't want to happen was like radical. Mm-hmm. It, it's both kind of admirable if you're like into progressive story stuff, but also it's just like it is compelling. It is both pulpy and uh, progressive at the same time. You know, uh, they times. head up to George's room. The door is wide open and they see he's got a big poster of Barbie on the wall. Yeah. Which is creepy to all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barbie. Yeah. Barbie is like a beautiful blonde girl. Like she's named Barbie and she looks like a little Barbie doll. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly what her character was in Doll's House. And it's only in this series that we learn about this big, complicated internal life where she wants to be an artistic East Village bohemian. Do you think Neil Gaiman had this arc in mind when he introduced her before? Or do you think that introduction of her inspired this? Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to guess my instinct is that it's no, that he just like does the story he's doing and then picks the next story he's going to do. And he just kind of looks back and he's like, oh, should I use any of these people that I used before or, or hmm. not? That's that's. But I actually don't know. Okay. So they're like, where's George? Why are we here? And Thessaly made reference that he's in the bath. And Wanda's like, George is taking a bath? Jesus H. Christ in a bicycle, Thessaly. And Thessaly clarifies, he isn't taking a bath. He's in the bathtub. It seemed the best place to put him. I killed him. He's dead. Let's take a break. Exciting. Good cliffhanger. Yeah, just call me Alan Moore. <laughs> Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about or the format of the show or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. All right, we're back. Um, so uh, everyone's sort of freaking out about this revelation that Thessaly killed George. Right. They don't like George, so that's probably the best person that Thessaly could have killed for them to not be totally scared of Thessaly, but they run into the bathtub and he is murdered, stabbed in the chest. Knife still in his chest. Yeah. Um, uh, although the bathtub has nice little feet on it. It's a very luxurious bathtub for what's supposed to be a poor East Village apartment. Um, Foxglove says, I'm going to call the police and a doctor mm-hmm. for Barbie. And Thessaly yeah. says, no way. I'm sorry, guys. You aren't going to call anyone. You mustn't. And then Wanda's like insistent, like, look, I'm sorry. You just can't go around killing people. I don't like the cops either, but we have to call them. And then Thessaly makes the revelation that they're not able to, that they're not going to be like, she has made it that they will not be able to leave or tell anybody. And she goes, let me try this again. You aren't going anywhere. You aren't calling anyone. None of you can leave the room unless I want you to. If you try, you can try if you like. As for the rest of what's going on, well, I don't understand it all yet either. George has a lot of explaining to do. George being George. the dead man. Yes. And then there's a cool little sequence where Wanda's like tries to leave 
You kill first, then ask questions after? Yeah, real bright sugar. All right, read my lips. I'm leaving. Don't try to stop me. Thessaly says, go ahead. And then we see Alvin, I'm sorry, Wanda, not move. Right, I can't. Uh, sorry about that, Wanda. Um, she, Thessaly is kind of like in total control, but also very peaceful and sort of unthreatened. Like she has a cold calmness about her. Yeah, she's got a very matter of fact. She's like, well, definitely one of those characters that sort of seems emotionless, Spock-like. Yeah. Um, um, I'm not going to explain this to you because I don't need to. Yeah, exactly. And um, she's starting getting ready to do a ritual. She's got a hammer and nails, a big glass bowl, an exacto knife. It looks like we're setting up for some gruesome stuff. And we are. She and goes to the bathroom and removes George's face. Yep. And there's like little... We're, she's a witch and she's like hundreds, maybe thousands of years old. And... Um, there's like an, in, as she's feeling his face, there's like the narration is like, you know, it's all coming back to her, like the memory of how to do this. I guess it's like been a while since she's been actively doing witch stuff. Mm-hmm. And so she's alone in the bathroom cutting his face off. They're sitting in the living room talking about Thessaly and um, um, Hazel makes the comment, witchcraft, you mean like new age stuff? Because they're saying, is she doing witch stuff? Yeah. And then Thessaly walks in holding George's face going new age. No, quite the opposite really. And then nails... George's separated face to the wall. It's got his ears. It's got eye holes. It's got a mouth hole. Um, and she also removed his eyes. That wasn't shown, but it was mentioned in a panel that she grabbed the eyes because she thought they'd be necessary and sort yeah. of sticks them into the face. And nails them there. Yeah. And then goes back into the bathroom for his tongue. Which she removes with her mouth, which I think is gratuitous. Yeah. She basically bites it, rips it out, and then shoves it. With her bleeding, her hands are covered in blood, and she just sort of shoves this bloody tongue into the mouth that she's nailed to the wall. And there's, like, just blood dripping down the wall from this face that's been nailed there. It's awful. It's awful, but also kind of funny. It's like this sort of helpless face with big, wide-open eyes and a tongue hanging out. Like, it's simultaneously gory and silly. Yeah. Uh, Foxglove drops her cigarette. It's the second cigarette that got dropped, I think, in this issue. (laughs) These characters keep just dropping their cigarettes in shock. Yeah, and Thessaly faces the nailed-up face in the wall and says, Okay, George, I want a word with you, young man. George, time to come back. And then the face starts talking. Yeah. Who dares call me back from the high shore of the silent river? And the girls are really upset. And uh, I love these aspects of Sandman, like when somebody starts doing some old, crazy, you know, gothic, like, gory stuff. Uh, Wanda goes in the bathroom and throws up. They know they're really in some serious shit now. And Thessaly's getting some answers from George on what's going on. He works for the cuckoo. The cuckoo promised him things, but George doesn't know much more than that. And yeah, and we and reveals that this is all about getting control of Barbie's dream. Yeah, it seems like these nightmares were, in a way, trying to get these people who were close to Barbie to do their bidding. Yeah, the nightmare was an attempt to get control of them. Yeah, it's one of these like. Neil Gaiman's very slippery on this in a way that is he's I say mostly successful at, but like there's all these like rules and regulations that come up that you know these obstacles that feel just kind of contrived and I can that's what I can never remember when I rem- try to think back on these stories. But George isn't allowed to kill Barbie himself; he's got to get her friends to do it for him somehow. Yeah, because he's in the thrall of the cuckoos and they're not. But it doesn't fully. Yeah. It, I, it, it doesn't fully get explained, at least in this issue. Yeah. Cuckoo's a bad guy, but can't do it directly, and it's weird. Thessaly uh, is ready to go on to her second ritual of the evening. She's going to—oh, she—now that she knows it's about 
Barbie's dream. She wants to enter the dream world, and she has a ritual for that. She's like the Elizabeth Warren. She's got a plan. Of, uh, she's got a plan, and it always involves blood and murdering somebody. I'd vote for Thessaly. Oh, yeah. Be great. Get rid of COVID. <laughs> yeah, this ritual involves menstrual blood. Yeah, and so, like, there's, there's, there's just tons of themes of, like, gender identity all throughout Game of You. Like, she says, uh, Thessaly says something here. She goes, she needs menstrual blood. Well, let's get into that first. When she says she needs menstrual blood, it's kind of weird how she does that. She just immediately asks Foxglove, and right. Foxglove is, why me? And Thessaly's answer is, because you're menstruating, no one else here is. Weird that she can just sense that. Mm-hmm. Hazel's pregnant, Wanda's a man, and I haven't menstruated for a long time. Yeah, and because we know Hazel's pregnant, she had also mentioned when she was pregnant that uh, Foxglove was menstruating. So this was information we were given earlier in the story. <laughs> Yeah, um, but it's weird that Thessaly knows it. And this mm-hmm. is how Foxglove learns that Hazel's pregnant. Yeah, we can talk about that later. Hazel, please, Fox, not now. And uh, Foxglove's like, it's not a very heavy flow. There won't be much. And Thessaly says, a few drops of Moon's blood will be enough. I think it's important to also say that even though this arc is about questions of identity and stuff, it's not necessarily making um, any definitive statements like about... Uh, uh, like the fact that uh, only one of them has menstrual blood is not sort of an indictment of any of the characters or anything like that. Now it's very pragmatic. Yeah. Um, what I think is really interesting about this is this was written in, you know, whatever year it was, like 91 or something or 92. Yeah. And, you know, in recent years, like, um, I mean, in my experience, just in the last like two years, the whole issue of like pronouns and people choosing whether they're male or female and then being um, quite often defensive or angry about that. Right. And then other people being like indignant at the idea that somebody would want that. Like it's kind of this like hot button political thing that gets talked about, like pronouns and your gender identity. Right. It's like something that in the last two years has become a cultural discussion. Yeah. It was definitely something that was important to people who it was important to uh, uh, before. And then to everyone else now, it's like, this should be important to everyone. And more and more people are going, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so when I'm reading Game of You with this kind of like modern lens, um, it does a really interesting job of sort of presenting a pretty wide spectrum of opinions about gender identity. And it's all through Wanda. Like Wanda's born a man, wants to be a woman, is scared to get the surgery that would like remove his penis. He's like scared of surgery, mm-hmm. but thinks of himself as a as a woman and comes from a religious family that condemns his behavior. Yeah, her behavior. And so there's uh, her behavior, right? Uh, sorry, when I think about him and her in his family, I'm picturing him, her as uh, as, as Alvin, that. right? Yeah, yeah, right, right. We see like, you know, to Wanda, she's Wanda. To Barbie, she's Wanda. To Wanda's family, she's Alvin. Now to Thessaly, there's like a biological thing. It's like because he's got a dick, he cannot participate in this ritual. He's not allowed to go with them where they go. Mm-hmm. He's left out. She's left out, rather. She's always kind of in between categories in a way that's hard for her. Yeah. And it makes it, um, I don't know, it seems like a really compelling and interesting like examination of this issue. Yeah. Anyway, Thessaly needs menstrual blood. <laughs> <laughs> and um, a part that I really like here at the bottom of the, whatever page we're on, she's holding the bowl and says, you see, there are two ways into another's dreams. We can go through the Dream King, reference to our main character, who we see very little in this arc. Yeah, he showed up at one moment, just someone mentioned like, hey, this dream world is sort of dying. And he goes, okay, not really a big deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, or we can go by the moon's road. Uh, but the dream king has little time for you women and even less for my kind. While the moon is ever ours, it's time to draw down the moon. 
and they do a ritual that has huge impact on the story. With the menstrual blood, she does a spell and lowers the moon closer to the earth, opening a portal so that uh, they can go into people's dreams. Yeah. Um, the moon is sort of angry at being arg- uh, bossed around like this, but also doesn't sort of stop Thessaly at all. Yeah, we learned there's like hints that Thessaly has a long history uh, that she was once a part of a bigger group of witches and maybe they are all dead because anytime she deals with a supernatural person in this story, they're like, you better be careful. They're, they're, everyone is always scolding her. Like you're going too fast too, but you don't know what you're doing. You're going to get in trouble. Uh, these, the moon entity, which is three women, probably the fates, the fates are all over Sandman comics or some, something parallel to the three fates Mm -hmm. are scolding her. We have not been drawn down for thousands of revolutions. Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you've done? And Thessaly is never, is always confident and undeterred. I know exactly what I've done and why I've called you. I want you to do something. Yeah. You're a mind to dispose of, mind to command. Yeah. She's really bossy. It does kind of make me wonder why does Thessaly care so much about this? She see, I I get the feeling that she just kind of likes flexing her muscles a little bit. Yeah. Well, this person tried to, Put a cuckoo on her, and so maybe she's just mad. Yeah, that could be it. Uh, she's like Michael Jordan. It became personal to her, and now she's going to go to great lengths to destroy the opposing team. And so Thessaly demands that even though they don't want to do it because she did the spell right, they have to open up a gateway to Barbie's dreams. Uh, we cut away briefly to this uh, homeless person on the street who yeah. earlier had seen the giant dog animal mm-hmm. and freaked out. Barbie gave her money on the subway. There was a dog on the subway, and she said she was scared of dogs, ran out in the street, and then saw Martin Tenbones, the huge dog creature, and was even more scared. Yeah. She's kind of throughout the story. And now she's out here, and she notices that the moon vanishes for a minute. Like, nobody else notices that the moon, like, was having a conversation with Thessaly except for this person. Yeah. She notices the moon is gone. Uh, The moon opens a portal, and then Foxglove, Hazel, and Thessaly enter it. Wanda does not. I think Wanda can't. That's not and explained in this issue. Next issue, it is explained by George. I don't believe it. Okay. I believe fine. it is never explained, and it's a plot hole. <laughs> but Wanda's left to guard over Barbie. Yeah. Um, uh, the moon returns to the sky, although that's going to have huge effects on the weather and create a huge storm, but not yet. And so now it's just Wanda and Barbie, and then George's face on the Yeah, she talks to Barbie for a little bit, and then at a certain point in the very second to last panel, you just hear, uh, excuse me, uh, Miss Wanda? Uh, can we talk? And it's the face that's been nailed to the wall. Um, and that's the end of the issue. Which is a freaky end. It's a funny end. Yeah. It's a funny end. Yeah, it's very it's very Sandman. Until I have like a creepy supernatural thing, have like a casual moment. So um, yeah, and that's uh, Bad Moon Rising. So why did you pick this issue, Will? Um, I wanted something. I liked the Thessaly's rituals. They were just like, uh, I thought it was a good juxtaposition of like gruesome supernatural stuff and like kind of like good character dialogue. Cause you picked this out without necessarily rereading it and going, Oh, this one, this one, you just sort of like thought back and remembered certain issues. I flipped through them. Okay. I was considering doing the first issue cause I love how it sets up the fantasy world. The second issue has these really disturbing nightmares that I think was a good demonstration of the horror aspect of Sandman. But Thessaly doing the ritual and like Hazel and Foxglove finding out that they're pregnant, seeing Wanda's thingy, uh, George's face on the wall. I don't know. It felt like it just felt like it's the epitome of the series to me. Okay, great. Gender issues, characters, and also it's a really um, it's very much a woman's story. Like the male characters 
are sidelined. Even Sandman, who is male, is barely in this thing until the very end. And uh, flipping ahead, next issue is definitely the issue where I stopped reading. Lots of caption boxes. Yeah. It's all in this fantasy world from the beginning. And I think I just sort of, I think I probably lost interest. I don't know if I was reading it in issues. I think you got this in issues. I, I definitely did. And I might have just been like, after a month, like, I don't remember what's going on in this. Yeah. There's so much words. Uh, it is complicated. The fantasy world that Barbie returns to, like, there are just tons of proper nouns. Like, Neil Gaiman, it basically feels like a Lord of the Rings style world where there's regions and races and spells and they each have their own words. And as, as you read it, and of course, it is it only exists for like two or three issues of Sandman. It is a ton of like stuff that you kind of have to like be like, well, I don't need to like understand all the details this is just a a middle earth slash narnia type of world and it doesn't matter if i know what the tweeners are or the porpentine or the hierarchy you know there's all these like word just like fantasy jargon being thrown around but it is awesome <laughs> i i don't know as always i would love if people read this issue if anybody has read sandman let us know i'll tell you right now our email is screw it spidey at gmail um, but if you've never read Game of You before and you're reading it now, I'd really love to know what you think, even if you don't like it, even if just like young Kevin, you find it too wordy and you're not into it. Um, if somebody has direct experience with like trans issues or gender identity issues and, and they want to speak to how this story addresses it, I'd be really curious to hear that. Um, if anybody's just a fan of horror and Gothic gruesome stuff, what do you think of this goth? I mean, I think this is like, pretty top-notch gothic gruesome witch shit going down here so i'd like to know what people think of that too i um and just as when i was in college i had not recurring dreams but sort of continuing dreams dreams that sort of had memories of each other Mm -hmm. uh, which Mm -hmm. is the thing i was going to talk about before um but i saved after the issue so i like uh, it's it's interesting to think about things like this because i definitely had this in college where i would like have a dream where there'd be like some sort of monster or creature or something. And for whatever reason, I was like, well, I got to get, take care of this. Mm-hmm. This is something I need to get rid of or, or deal with. And then I would in the dream. Somehow I was just like, I had the wherewithal to like take care of whatever monster it was. And then when I, the next night or a few nights later, I'd have a similar dream where it'd be like a worse monster. And I'd be mm-hmm. like, well, I took care of that other one. So this one should be no problem. It wasn't mm. like as plotty as that sounds, but it definitely was sort of like I had confidence from the previous dreams that carried over. Interesting. Uh, and I definitely had like five or six of these. I remember waking up and being like, this is so weird. Yeah. That I'm uh, that I'm remembering this. Uh, and there's like detail. Some of, the, some of those details, like it definitely, there's sometimes it would be like, I was like looking for the trouble and sometimes it would be finding me and it ne- doesn't, didn't necessarily connect that way, but it would always be like, Oh, last time I dealt with something like this, I had to do this. So now I'm going to do something similar to take care of this. What's monster. your explanation? And I, I don't, I Sandman ask him as <laughs> dream, but it's the Lord of dreams. But yeah. I think it is a thing that happens. Maybe not to the extent that it happened to Barbie. Uh, but the idea of like a recurring dream world or dream concepts or uh, yeah. continuing dreams is not unknown. I have a, a recurring stress dream. If I'm stressed, a very common stress dream for me is I'm running through a city from the military. It's like a martial law situation. And I'm 
this curfew and I'm supposed to be inside, but I'm running around in the streets and I'm going to get shot if I'm seen. And I'm like ducking behind things and trying to get to a safe place. That like happens a lot. So there you go. So there's yours. So yeah, maybe those are real things. Yeah. So I don't know. I'd also be curious if people have, if people have had sort of those sorts of recurring dreams, I'd be interested if you want to share them, that might be very personal, but I'd be happy yeah. to hear about them. Yeah. I, I Again, I've, I mentioned this last episode, but I said, I read some interview with Neil Gaiman where, or maybe it's one of the introductions to one of the trades where he said that somebody observed that every other arc of Sandman was like a male story and every other one was like female. And actually characters in Sandman sometimes make that observation because there's a lot of people telling each other stories in Sandman. And I, one of the characters at one point in the World's End arc says, all these are boys' stories. These are all boys' stories. Where's the girls' stories? But Game of You is a girls' story mm-hmm. for sure. And maybe that's uh, what else set off close-minded Kevin. Uh, maybe I maybe didn't like that. Uh, yeah. There's uh, Toward the end of the series, I'm going to enter now into spoiler territory for this. Barbie confronts the cuckoo who is uh, who is appearing like a young Barbie at the end of this arc or the end of the yeah, whole at the end of this arc. And the cuckoo tells Barbie basically makes a generalization that boys have tell one type of story and girls tell another that boys tell like stories of achieving power and control and being appreciated and respected and that uh, and that girls create worlds uh, that they have to save or something like that. And so like that women were a better vessel for her to like inhabit. So there's kind of like direct commentary on the, on gendering stories, I guess. Hmm. Uh, it's kind of, it's, it's, I don't know if I agree with it, but it's a uh, interesting, it's like a, it's a fun story to read. Yeah. Uh, Wanda's birth name is Alvin Mann, M A N N like really on the nose for, uh, <laughs> yeah. for that character story. Well, it doesn't seem like they're being subtle if there was a Barbie and a Ken who appear to be a perfect <laughs> right. dream couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Neil kind of, well, you know, especially for the side characters, he'll name them something right on the nose. Mm-hmm. And then if he promotes them to main character, you're stuck with your really on the nose name. Yeah. Um, anyway, I really recommend the rest of the story. I find, I do think you're right, Kevin. I think the very next issue is kind of the densest and maybe the least fun because it is, all, it's mostly about the fantasy world and Barbie's struggles. Um, but then it gets really good. There's like when she meets the cuckoo pretty soon and that's pretty interesting. And then a storm hits Manhattan and we see Wanda's story finish. And that's also interesting. Yeah. I mean, probably by the time I reached this issue, I probably had ups and downs. I was like, oh, this was fun. This was sort of a yeah. tough story. Because even uh, uh, now I'm comparing it to like bad comics uh, or in very inconsistent comics, which I don't really think Sandman is. I think it's just challenging comics. But when I read like inconsistent comics, sometimes I'll do that where it's like, oh, these few issues were good. And then it's like, ah, oh, this one was bad. Ah, a couple more good ones, another one bad ones. And if you get enough of those, I'm just like, the good ones aren't worth it to yeah. go through the bad ones. And I think there's a similar thing where it's like, oh, the fun ones aren't worth the challenging ones. Yeah. yeah for, uh, for a young, young me. At a certain point, I'm just like, I I'm not going to read this just because I've been reading it. Yeah. I'll give up on books and series and things like that. TV shows. There's a very interesting thing at the end of this arc where all the creatures have created like tons of problems. There's like Barbie's fantasy world is dying. There is a bad guy who is trying to escape it before it dies, but she's trapped. That's what the, that's what the dilemma is. And Barbie is mad that her like, world is being threatened and her like fantasy friends 
um, who she now knows are real, are being hurt. Thessaly is mad that she was threatened and wants revenge. And the Dream Lord is mad that his world that he set up for somebody centuries ago is being messed with. Everybody's mad. And it seems like it's coming to a head. And remember how we talked about with Justice League, how sometimes they'd build to a head and then it would just kind of be over, like a thing would happen that would just end it. Yeah. Like the ending would sort of be abrupt and maybe even unearned. Right. Sometimes. Oberon would just talk to Darkseid off panel and the fight is over. Yeah. The bad guy just gives up and goes away or something. Mm-hmm. This kind of happens in this arc, which is where Sandman's like, oh, I forgot to mention, Barbie, you as the current leader of this land, um, you're allowed one. It's dying. And I always said that whoever was in charge of it would get one wish <laughs> to make up for the fact that the land is dying. So you get one wish. You can wish for whatever you want. And there's like a couple and everybody starts saying like, Thessaly's like, kill the cuckoo. I'll, I'll get us home. And Hazel and Fox are like, save us. You know, uh, I don't, I don't remember. Everybody's got a demand to what to do with the wish. And then Barbie like tells them all to shut up. And there's like a couple, there's like a big, there's a panel of silence while they're waiting for her to decide. And then she goes, okay, I want the Dorothy option. Everybody gets to go home safe and sound. Nobody gets hurt. And the cuckoo gets freed and they get returned home and they're all fine. And the Morpheus compliments her. It's like, that was a wise choice. What happens to her fantasy friends? They are kind of, they die, uh, but sort of peacefully. They're kind of ushered into death's realm. And death, uh, they wave goodbye to Barbie as they're walking into death's realm, sort of happily. But she's mostly concerned for Hazel and Foxglove right. and Thessaly. Uh, she doesn't want them to get hurt. And they don't. Wanda dies in the storm that oh, is caused by the moon. That's horrible. Yes. And then... Barbie goes to her funeral and we see the very religious family and the town that Wanda comes from. Um, and Barbie hangs out with the only progressive relative Wanda had who is still not progressive at all. And Barbie's kind of mad on her behalf at this family that rejected her, mm-hmm. Wanda. Barbie is mad at the family for rejecting Wanda. And then on the bus ride out of that town, she falls asleep and um, in her dreams, death brings Wanda to say goodbye in her final dream. And it's so sweet. Death is really nice. Yeah. And in the, de- <laughs> and, the, and in that final version, Wanda looks like the woman she wants to be. Like she looks fully arrived um, and happy. And that is also part of Sandman stories is there's lots of like happy endings amidst the gore. Yeah. I think some people found it too cutesy, but I always loved it. And I just found it really it's sweet. It's a happy ending other than that she's dead. She's dead. I mean, it's not a full happy ending, but there's this moment of mm-hmm. human compassion for death letting Barbie say goodbye. And we see that Wanda is in the form she wants to be. I think Neil- uh, like her, bo- her body's being buried by her religious family, dressed up in a suit and made to look like a man. But in the spirit world, she's what she wants to be. Uh, that's, Neil, that's Neil Gaiman message. is good. He's good. He's a good storyteller. Yeah. You got time for a few emails, Will? I would love it. We got a huge backlog. Um, if you want to email us, it, as Will said earlier, it's screwitspidey at gmail.com. Screwitspidey. Kevin, thanks for letting me talk unbroken there for like 15 minutes. Um, that's okay. I took a nap. <laughs> uh, I entered the dream world. Uh, nice. I, I maybe read this one last time. I, I didn't mark it as read, so I'm going to read it again just in case. This is from okay. John Bournes. Okay. Uh, I've been listening to your show since the very beginning. Before you started with, uh, before you started with the Spider-Man run, I had never really read any comics. I had read the Watchmen graphic novel as a recommendation from a friend, but that was it. I decided to get a Marvel Unlimited account and read along with you guys, and I've been loving it ever since. Oh, great! That's really flattering. Uh, Thank you. Interesting enough, I came to your podcast because I had been such a fan of Will's work on other podcasts. Mm. 
Hmm. One of the first episodes of comedy Bang Bang that I ever listened to featured Will doing Morpheus the Dream Lord, and I thought it was yeah. one of the craziest bits I'd ever heard. <laughs> uh, ever since then, I've always been excited when I see Will as a guest, and I followed other podcast adventures that he's done. At the time, I didn't know that Will's Morpheus roles was a reference to the Sandman comics. I personally find it very funny that it's all come around full circle. Now I get to listen to Will <laughs> talking about the same in Comic City Love, which inspired the Morpheus character, which made me a Will Hines fan, <laughs> which has since occupied many hours of my podcast listening. I look forward oh, yeah. to books and I hope uh, uh, I look forward to books. I don't know what that means. And I hope Will. Oh, Will's new podcast of books. Yeah, I will write your book. Uh, and I hope Will other. does an entire episode of the new season is Morpheus the Dream Lord. That's a yeah. common request. Yeah. Yeah. He says he's also a Kevin Hines fan. Uh, it just doesn't have as interesting a journey for me. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for coming from Comedy Bang Bang to listen to this podcast. I really appreciate it. Uh, we have an email uh, from Justin Bridge. He's emailed us a, a bunch. He's a great guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, great review. Heinz's first major Sandman issues. Uh, intro to the Death Andless, and it's fantastic. Uh, a few of these things, and then there's a question at the end for you, Will. I like when you guys discuss the comic shops of years past. I had such a connection to all of my faves from the local town shop and the original one that used to be huge in my town in size, not popularity, to shops in college in Boston, to the ones I used to go to when I lived in L.A., San Fran, NYC. I still like to go through the back catalogs whenever I find myself drawn into a store. Uh, I do remember this store still there on Route 22 in New Jersey near North Plainfield where the owner was giving out Aquaman number zero, which introduced me to Peter David and how cool Aquaman could be. From Aquaman, I went back and got out of the Hulk, and so on. Uh, I love that Aquaman series. Hmm. Uh, Gaiman is an interesting choice, as he re- he really does feel like a very unique writer. Uh, although yeah. outside of Sandman, while I always enjoy his comics, and no small part due to the fact that they all seem to be, have amazing art, I feel like he's one of those writers who works better in books rather than comics. He's one of those writers hmm. that I clearly enjoy, but I feel outside of Sandman that all of his work has the same tone, beats, etc., In this sense, he reminds me of Stephen King. I enjoy the work, to be clear, but once you figure out the formula, all the tales seem somewhat similar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I haven't read a ton of his other stuff, I guess. He did like. I've read um, American Gods and Good Omens. But I read books. I haven't read a lot of his other comics, I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Uh, I haven't either. He hasn't done a ton. He did Miracle Man, which is pretty different. Right. I read Miracle Man, um, Black Orchid, and did he Violent Cases? That's one of his two. He might have. I didn't read Violent Cases. He did yeah, like a superhero those. series for Marvel that was not that good, but I, I think he did that. I think someone said he did that to raise money so that he could uh, win a court case he was having with Todd McFarlane or something. Oh. Uh, I don't know the whole details. Anyway, uh, we know Will loves the Beatles and casting. One of those is true. One of those is not. Mm-hmm. So here's my question. Which Beatle should play these Beatles? Okay. Ready for this, Will? Yes. Uh, I'll list them all, and then you can go and tell me which Beetle is which one. Okay. Marvel's Beetle, the Spider-Man villain. Okay, that is Pete Best. DC's Blue Beetle, Ted Cord. That's Ringo. Francis, the ladybug from A Bug's Life, played by Dennis Leary in the movie. John. And Beetle Bailey. Paul McCartney. All right. You okay with those answers? Yeah, George didn't make it, but that's okay. George is out of this Beatles, I guess. <laughs> you start with Pete Best. <laughs> Pete's back in. George is out. Wow. Two drummers, Pete and Ringo. <laughs> uh, Kevin Bedingfield writes us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hi there, Milksop, Will, and Panty Waste, Kevin. A <laughs> <laughs> uh, longtime listener, second time emailer. Let me add to the growing legion of people who love Will as Morpheus on CBB and look forward to his return. I love it. 
Keep telling me. I love it. I do consider Will as a top tier CBB guest. Oh, thank you. And love it when I see his name in the episode description. It doesn't sound like he's joking, Will. Thank you. Uh, on to the purpose of this here email. Have you listened to the Sandman audiobook on Audible? Have you, Will? No. Me, no, but I will at some point. Me neither. A lot of people are asking us. We, we also got a Twitter. Someone on Twitter asked us if we were going to cover that at all. And I, was, I don't have Audible. Um, I don't either, but I mean, I could get it. Like, uh, I guess we should, right? Or I guess I should at least listen to a little bit of it. I don't know why I'm not excited about it. I love the comics so much. I'm so happy with them. I, I don't necessarily need an adaptation. I don't know why. I'd be excited for a Sandman movie or a TV show. Why do I not care about an audiobook? I don't know. I, sh- I should check it out. I should check it out. Um, well, Kevin tells you a little bit more about it. Here we go, Will. Uh, if you haven't, then you are doing yourself a disservice, and I may have to unsubscribe to your podcast. All right. Uh, okay, Consider so that's not warned. true, he says. But I find false threats fun and sometimes profitable. Well, he may have mm. just made money off of us. Uh, Neil Gaiman is the narrator. Uh, oh, that's fun. James McAvoy is Morpheus. Kat Dennings is Death. And there are other big names. It is not your typical audiobook, as it is produced more like a radio drama, and it is mm-hmm. excellent. Although I haven't listened to very many audiobooks, so maybe they're all like this. It covers yeah. Sandman's volumes one through three, Preludes and Nocturnes, The Doll's House, and Dream Country. It's very good. 30 hours long, but when it was over, I was like, is that it? Maybe I'll check it out. Uh, he also enjoys comic adaptations in audio form as the Marvel's podcast or Marvel and Stitcher. Not as high caliber of voice talent as Sandman, but still enjoyable. That's the one that like is like, I think, uh, covering the Marvel series by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross. Like it's, I think it's adapted a little more, but because uh, I listened to a clip they put online and it sounded really fun. Yeah. Um, cool. But I also. I'll, I'll probably almost definitely check it out. I got to get to it. But I, I'm not, I'm not on sure Stitcher if I'll either, so. Yeah, I'm not sure I'll get to it before we finish covering the comics, though. But uh, And he goes, I'd you like couldn't have picked a better it. issue to start season five with. And that's he's referring to the death and dream hanging out. Oh, yeah, I think so, too. That's a, I'm glad I'm glad you agree. I felt like we did it right that way also. Uh, got time for a few more? Yes. Also, I want to say, even though I well, people ask us to do casting, and I am bad at it, I'm not offended when people ask. I'm referring to two emails ago. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll continue to be really bad at it, and I'm going to get worse because I'm getting more out of touch with things as time goes on. But I don't mind if you ask. I'm atrocious at it. I can basically cast, like, who did I see on TV today? Yeah, right. I'll put them in this movie. Uh, Josh Wolf writes, greetings, fellow milksops. I've been a listener of the pod since season one, as well as a longtime fan of both your improv work through live shows and YouTube videos. Uh, here's some compliments for both of us. You're both as witty and insightful as you are devilishly handsome. An overtly wow. subtle blend of Bond and Bond villain. Kudos to learning your superior talents. Now that I've buttered you up a bit. Oh, yeah. There it goes. Here we go. Uh, I wish to pose a mundane run-of-the-mill comic book question. Okay. Last episode, Will mentioned the Marvel-themed D&D podcast, 20-Sided Stories. Right. He performed in and the Teenage Mutant... Matter of fact, he created for the episode. That's right. Uh, as the episode artist for that season, I most assuredly wasted my uh, wasted my panties in quotes when I found <laughs> out I would have the privilege of illustrating a Will Hines character. Oh yeah, I love your high energy. That's not true. Uh, I loved your <laughs> yeah, high now energy, we know he's quirky lying. take on a thirteen-year-old mutant with a somewhat powerful ability. Right. As a longtime lover of comics, I would constantly daydream as a kid that one day, perhaps in the middle of class, my latent mutant abilities would manifest mid-lesson to the awe of classmates and teachers alike. 
allowing me to leave class early and revel in my newfound powers. I had an absolute blast rendering your character on the page, Will. Uh, so that's a compliment to you, Will. Um, thank you, Josh. I remember the drawings. I really liked them. Yeah. yeah, it's a fun, it was a fun series, 20-sided stories. They do like a different uh, sort of genre each season. Like I think they, they did superheroes and, oh gosh, I forget what they're doing now. Uh, they did, they've done D&D, um, but they do, I can't remember, but they would do like, you know, film noir or something, right. but do it like in a role play way. Um, anyway, yeah, 20-sided stories. They're, they're good. Uh, my question is this, Kevin, since you all, uh, also mentioned having played Dungeons and Dragons, as well as a passing interest in comics in general, if you were to create a young Teenage Mutant character, what would their power set and personality be? Uh, I would love to draw your version of a Teenage Wonder Kid. Uh, Will, I highly encourage you to muse upon another character concept as well. Uh, keep up the amazing work as a solo comic book podcast hosted by two brothers. It has become almost your duty to speak your opinions, nay, your truths to the world. Uh, Josh Wolf. Uh, they're doing like Twilight Zone type of stuff this season. Oh, cool. It's a Twilight Zone. Yeah. Um, and they've done Pokemon, Victoria 1890, the verse, Lasers and Feelings, which is like a Star Trek-like one. Uh, have, they done Cthul- Kevin, have they done Cthulhu? I don't think so. Then they failed. Oh, too bad. <laughs> um, Good try, 20-sided stories. Yeah. You failed. You had your chance. Yep. That's a fair standard Kevin is giving you. Um. Yeah, so if I had to create a character, it's tough because so many power sets uh, have been done before, right? Um, I didn't know that. Uh, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> what, what was your character again? Can you remind me? As a matter of fact, I believe he could just change the state of matter, like solid to gas, gas to liquid. Okay. So you could, like, um, melt ice? Uh, yes, but I mean, like, I think, yeah, but, like, being able to melt, like, anything right. is, like, actually pretty powerful. Sure, melt and then steel. To- yeah, just like you can just dispose of anything that's in your way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those were the powers. His name was Henry. But the main thing I wanted to play is that he was a superhero geek who was excited to be part of the local superhero guild. And he knew everything about them and was like a big fan. That was, you know, and even that's been done too, but I, that's the kind of character I right. played. That's like Miss Marvel. She's like a superhero fan. Exactly. It is a lot like the Ms. Marvel personality in the Avengers game, which I am playing. Um, yeah. If I had to pick one, I like things that uh, are very, uh, the characters that are most drawn to me are ones that have like very, uh, despite my love of Spider-Man, it's just like you have one little power and then you have to like find different ways to use it usefully. Yeah. Right. Like I, I do think speedball is a very fun power set. I've always liked Cypher and Cannonball from New Mutants. Um, who are having Cypher be the second one you mentioned is such a deep, weird cut. Yeah, I like. I just love the idea of like I'm just good at languages. And Cannonball was like he could fly and he's indestructible, but he's not that uh, good at steering. <laughs> and like it makes that power like not that useful. Yeah, when he's not like very competent with it. And like for most of the run of New Mutants, he wasn't competent for so long. It's a good limitation. Yeah, uh, I like limitations. That's basically it. But nothing like that jumps to my mind right now. The first thing that popped to my mind it would be like someone who could create isolated time bubbles, uh, <laughs> like where they could speed up or slow down time. All right. Just within a little area. Yeah, within a little area. Um, so you could, you could rot fruit. Right. Or uh, slow it down or, or put something in stasis. Okay. That's pretty fun. Can you go backwards? Can you turn a dog into a puppy? I think so. Uh, probably, uh, yeah. You can rewind and fast forward. You control time completely within those little bubbles. I don't know what size Crazy. those bubbles could be. Theoretically, 
uh, if it's a mutant, you'd think they could keep getting there. If they kept training, they could make bubbles big enough to be inside. They probably can't last a long time, but for like a little bit, they could do something. So like I could theoretically, let's say I could put a bubble over you over me and I could move really fast within that bubble for a brief amount of time. Um, that's a really cool power. There you go. What's your personality? What you gotta, you know, um, you're Stan Lee. You gotta have more than just the power. Sure. I would probably, uh, uh, Maybe somebody like sort of a emo- uh, uh, Thessaly like emotionless, closer to that mm. than very. Ag- I feel like that power would be too much for someone who had too big a personality. I, 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 something like more of a precision character, so someone who's like just really thinking it through and being careful, maybe being overly cautious with it, too cautious at times. Um, so this power to like control time is being controlled by somebody who doesn't make decisions quickly or lightly. That's cool. There you go, Josh. Thank you. Um, I read that a long time ago and then I should have thought about it before now, but that's what I, I like that you had. To, I like that you were, your back was up against the wall. I mean, that came, I think nine or 10 days ago, that email. <laughs> Marcus Coltrin emails us long time listener, second time caller. What are your thoughts on the death and return of Superman? The early nineties death and return. Yeah. I, I, the comic book where he died, yeah. uh, killed by doomsday. Then he was, yeah, uh, I have thoughts on this and then originally resurrected, uh, or then, then replaced by four different Superman like characters before he himself was resurrected. Um, what do you think of it, Kevin? You love it. You think it was the best thing ever. I, I have mixed thoughts on it. It's a stunt and I sort of don't love stunts. Like it was like on the news, like Superman's going to die. And everyone's like, Oh, I can't believe it. And even then we were being like, characters die all the time. He'll be back. Yeah. He's Superman has probably died before. But he's probably just been back the next issue. Uh, he or- did. The Hernandez brothers, uh, the creators of Love and Rockets, one of my favorite comics, they were asked their favorite comics from when they were kids, and they each listed their 10 favorite. And on both of their lists is an issue called The Death of Superman from 1961. Something yeah. like, probably like imaginary story or something. So characters die all the time, and, and there's no real impact on it. And it was just like somebody who had been smart enough to create buzz about that story. So that sort of annoyed me. But that being said, there was like... Uh, a few months where they just told stories without Superman in it. Yeah. Or maybe just a few issues. But I like th- that's always, I think, very cool idea. Just being like, let's see what Lois Lane does without Superman in her world. Let's really live in this aftermath rather than bring him back next issue. Um, yeah. I really loved that Superboy that came out of it and Steel that came out of it. I think are both great characters. Yeah. And very unique takes. Like, I think Steel thought he was Superman or, or he, he either thought he was Superman or he was honoring Superman and Superboy was a clone. So he's like, so I'll be the new Superman. And there was like two other ones uh, as well that I think became villains. Uh, And I thought that was, those characters were pretty interesting. By the time Superman came back, I I wasn't super interested in it Mm. uh, other than noticing he had a mullet. Um, (laughs) So like the idea didn't have that big an impact on me other than like it created some cool characters. I think the stories within it were probably pretty good. And I didn't like it being a stunt, which obviously made DC comics and comic book shops tons of money. So it was a yeah. good decision Yeah, to make people interested in comics is good. It's yeah. a, it's, I'm, I'm almost like one of those guys complaining about fake fans. I'm like, why are you reading this story? It doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Uh, when it's like, if that makes you yeah. interested in Superman comics, great. I hope you keep mm-hmm. reading them. You fake fan. All you did was buy and read issues of the comic. Yeah. How does that make you a fan? Uh, and I, I love any reason you have to read comics is a good reason. Um, yeah. So in that sense... It was good. It, it got people's eyes on it. What are your thoughts, Will? The story was dumb, but I was really impressed with like just how everybody was talking about it. Like it was a thing that like parents heard about. People on the news talked about it. Jokes on late night talk shows. Mm-hmm. 
Like it was impressive to me. I mean, when is the time that a comic book's continuity makes it onto the news? Like I was, I don't know, sort of, I was impressed that the stunt was effective. Yeah. I mean, it definitely created like a still going thing where they try to get news out of it. Right. Like they, uh, break Batman's back and, uh, Captain America gets shot and Marvel. It's like each one sort of seems to have diminishing returns of like anyone caring about it. Yeah. I don't know. That one really worked. Yeah. And it was also kind of like, and it was like kind of reassuring. It's like, oh, people still care about Superman, even though he's not really like Batman is the DC hero that everybody talks about. But I was like, I don't know. People want Superman. They want him around. I weirdly think uh, people didn't read the, so many people bought the comic and it was like, pre-bagged or whatever and they just kept the bags because they thought it would be worth something Mm. which probably hurt it somewhat but the story itself was just a big fight sequence it's almost like i wish the story had been both the fight sequence and the aftermath and that like if it was two issues and so and what's the most and then not bagged so that people would have gotten it and read it and been like oh this is good i want to keep reading so when superman dies in that story you as a fan know it's not permanent somehow he's coming back you know it i know that yes so it's like it's not that really that moving you know it's like it's just that point in the action movie when the hero's down and you're wondering how he's going to come back yeah i mean it's you want it you want it is you want that move it has to be told in a way that makes you care i was going to ask what is the moment what is the most emotionally gut-punching moment you've read in comics i mean it's probably the kid who collects spider-man oh yeah that's right oh what a good one um but, oh my gosh but there definitely are gut-punching moments within comics i mean like uh, we've talked about recently the, the for the man who has everything the alan moore story where yes. superman has to tell his yeah. dream son that you're not real yeah that's oof, that was a, just, I mean, even though we know it's like it's not a real kid it doesn't matter but it's like oh you believe that superman yeah feels that and that stuff is really good and so just knowing that someone's going to come back or die doesn't matter as much as like someone's seeing it happen um the dan slot story that this is such a crazy story we've briefly talked about it during season one where otto octavius took over spider-man's brain yeah. And took control of his body and became the new Spider-Man. Yes. And it was a long, it went on for uh, 30 issues or so. And in that storyline, at some point, the, the the fragments of Peter Parker's memories started talk, talking to Otto. And then Otto yeah. deleted those from his brain. Hmm. So it was Dan Slott's way of going, no, there's no way he's coming back. And I remember people being furious, being like, <laughs> I can't believe you're really doing this. And Stan Slott would say when interviewed, like, this is the new Spider-Man forever. Get used to it. <laughs> and I, I knew he was lying. Uh, <laughs> and he knew he was lying and, and the editors knew he was lying, but they all stood by that line and people got so mad. I'm like, it's, they're not getting rid of Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he, when he did come back, it was great. It was still very cool. Even though I knew it was going to happen. Eventually the green goblin attacks and Otto can't beat the green goblin. And the Green Goblin threatens this woman that Otto Spider-Man has fallen in love with. And he goes, to save her, I have to let Peter Parker back. Yeah. And so he brings Peter Parker back. He's like, you're the only one who can take this guy down. And it's great. It's a great moment. And Green Goblin has figured out that it's not the real Spider-Man. And then all of a sudden it is. Yeah. Uh, And it's, and Otto, and Norman's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. It's a a really fun moment. Uh, That's fun. But, you know, it's not like, I wasn't like, (gasps) oh. He's back and just sort of, it's more just like, oh, that's a fun way to bring him back in a way that sort of makes Otto a little bit of a hero. Yeah. But also shows, I think Dan Slott's point was like, like Peter is the best Spider-Man. Yeah. That's fun. Uh, Anyway. So that stuff can really, really work. I love Dan Slott's Twitter. Flash's death, Wally West's death when uh, William Messner Loeb's also stood out to me. 
the, I think it was issue 50. He gets, he, he's like standing on a platform that sucks his speed away and all his loved ones are on either side. And all he has to do is get off the platform before Vandal Savage can shoot him. Yeah. And it's like two steps, but you can't outrun a bullet and he gets shot and it goes down. And it's just like one of those moments. It's just really, I remember reading it, even though he comes back in the next issue, it's just like Wally West was like, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So what could I do? Yeah. Uh, and it was great. I remember being like, oh, I can't wait to see how he comes back. Yeah. So, uh, and all those had more impact. I mean, I like those characters more than Superman, but I do like Superman. Yeah. Everyone likes Superman. Uh, I just, yeah, I want it to move me, the returns and the deaths and all those things, whether or not I, I believe that they're going to be undone. That's it. That's cool. On that one, uh, how are we doing on time? We probably do one more. All right. This is from Travis Weber. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, I really enjoy your podcast. Thanks for putting it out. And I can't resist pointing out an obscure bit of lore that connects the Sandman with Justice League International. All right, let's do it. Obviously, there was the appearance of Martian Manhunter Mr. Miracle in Sandman number five. Okay. But there's a subtler nod during Seasons of Mist episode five, whatever that issue was. Okay. An emissary of the Lords of Order, I don't remember this, is trying to convince Morpheus to give them the keys to hell. I remember this sequence. And offers a collection of the dream essences of the newly dead. The sort of thing the gray man was collecting for the Lords over in JLA before he ah. handed in his resignation and was beaten by the JLA. For further adding to the gray man's total humiliation, Morpheus's reaction to the offer amounts to, why would I want this trash? Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe I'm overthinking it. Look, if I can't spout nerdy lore theories at a comic book podcast, well, that might be a good life lesson. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I think that connection is dead on. Um, if it's the Lords of Order, how could it not be? It's got to be. Yeah. I'm going to read um, one more, Will, because it's a friend of ours. And then we'll, and this is from Shem. Shem Pennant. Ah, Shem Pennant. A very funny uh, fella from London living in uh, New York now. I think still living in New York, I hope. Still lives in New York, yeah. I talked to him yesterday. Good. <laughs> and I don't know with this pandemic how much that impacts people, so I'm glad he's still here. Yeah. Uh, hello, oat milk sops, a vegan twist <laughs> on a classic, he says. Uh, I used to see people reading Sandman comics at school in the 90s, but because of my ultra strict religious background, I was too scared to read them. I remember glancing at my friend's Everin's issue with the people trapped in the diner and finding it terrifying. It is terrifying. It's still my first thought when I think of diners. <laughs> and, and even as a general fear, and even as general fear faded, the prospect of working my way through 70 plus issues felt daunting. But... Your podcast was a push I needed to start reading. And halfway through the first issue, I texted Will a picture of Morpheus saying he will give me the other thing I crave, revenge. Is that true, Will? Did you get that text? I did, yes. And had to admit, I was hooked. (laughs) I really dug the eight-issue revenge arc that started the comic, but was floored by the pause after the arc is over and he's sitting in Washington Square Park, both as a character in the comic saying, no... And now what? And is comforted by Death, who both cheers up Morpheus and tells the reader, this is no normal comic. I texted my friend Everend, wow, this issue with Death is incredible. To which he replied, duh, it's considered one of the best single issues of comics ever. <laughs> uh, duh. <laughs> uh, anyway, thanks for the nudge. It's clearly one of the best comics I've read. Maybe next I'll check out this Beatles band Will keeps mentioning. I'm late to the game, but just happy to play. Thanks, Shem. Thanks, Shem. It's funny. Whenever Shem makes reference to his past, the guy's lived like a thousand lives. Yeah. I didn't know he had an ultra-religious background. Yeah, he dropped Shit. that as if it's a common knowledge. And now it is. Now it is. It's on a podcast. Now it is. It's on a podcast, so now everybody knows. But I feel like I'll talk to Shem and he'll be like, oh, yeah, I used to be a scientist in an Antarctic weather station for two years. I helped solve the problem of the ozone layer. I'll be like, what? He'll be like, yeah, yeah. Then I was an intern 
you know, for Coldplay. It's like, <laughs> God, what's going on? Uh, so we've got a few more emails for next time. Well, uh, keep emailing us if you haven't already. Screw it, Spidey at gmail.com. Talk about your dreams. Talk about these comics. Talk about anything you want. Yeah, and thanks for listening. Talk about Comedy Bang Bang. Talk about, I don't mind if everybody comes here from Comedy Bang Bang. That's great. Welcome to this. Yeah. Uh, and, and also um, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Screw It Comics. That's the name on both those accounts, Screw It Comics. I'll post yeah. images from the comics we discuss. I'm, I might be behind. I haven't... Uh, made us images for this week's uh one which by this point you're hearing that will have already been done but uh i gotta do that <laughs> i'm just re- um, that's reminded me we usually record on mondays we're recording on tuesday i don't have time uh, it'll happen at some point um well thanks everybody for listening we'll see you next uh episode all right bye everyone bye will i need your menstrual blood comics Oh, hello, you. What's up, hoes? I'm Mary Kay McBrayer. I'm Mary Amelia Byer. I'm Rachel Estridge. And we like scary movies. Let's be more specific. We like analyzing scary movies. Okay, but let's be a little bit more specific. We like making fun of scary movies. Let's be even more specific. We have to make fun of scary movies so that we can sleep at night. We host a horror comedy podcast called Everything Trying to Kill You that rips all your fave horror movies a new one. And bonus, we'll tell you jokes from the perspectives of... Feminist ethnic minorities. And queer women. Which might be something you haven't considered before. Sure looks like Hollywood hasn't. So check out Everything Trying to Kill You. New episodes every other Friday on Campfire Media. Campfire.